Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Harry Potato in the Chamber of Secrets. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Bad meat on the worst plate. And we're discussing <laughs> our all-time top 100 video games. Announcement! Announcement! It's time for your weekly reminder about our Patreon page. In our continuing attempts to develop the podcast, expand, create more content, and spread more video gaming joy, we have launched a Patreon page so that fans of the podcast, hopefully such as yourselves, can pledge their support in exchange for a plethora of excellent perks, such as social media shoutouts, custom artwork, the chance to record an episode with us, and access to exclusive content like brilliant deleted scenes of us winding each other up bonus episodes <laughs> like the dlc special we launched just recently it's an absolute doozy so if you don't want to miss out on that then head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents and pledge away this week we have our number 46s bloody hell but uh, before we do that it's uh, time to channel the jittery nervous disposition of a man who has hunted deer viewed to a kill, been the king of New York, seen Batman return, been one of a psychopathic septet, had ears whose ears had ears, been the last man standing, and shoved a watch right up his ass. <laughs> it's the opposite of Christopher Reeve, it's Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> The score is currently 29 to 24 in favour of Chris. Oh, tasty. I mean, it is a tasty lead. Do something about that, Minty. I'm going to try. Go on, mate. In the original Pokemon games on the Game Boy, what is the name of the town? Pallet Town. That you visit second. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> what is the name of the town in which you begin the game? The correct answer is yes. Pallet Town. The point goes to Minty. Woo! <laughs> the gamble paid off. I can't possibly compete when he's answering before the question has even been delivered, but it's all right. You can have that one. So what have we been playing this week? Chris, what have you been playing? Uh, not a huge amount. I mean, it's been quite a busy week for, for late work nights for me the last week. And then towards the tail end of the week, uh, obviously people listening to this in the near future we've had some lovely coronavirus panic we'll all be dead by the time this episode comes out exactly mm. who cares who cares so um I, I did buy murder by numbers on your recommendation jonathan yes. although i haven't even booted it up so it's it's on, oh. the, on the switch ready i had an evening where i made a tiny bit of progress in outer wilds i think i probably text you at the time ah. but i then did get frustrated and, and quit in half again <laughs> so put that to one side for another few days and i've had my usual doses of, of tetris and whatever to, to keep me sane throughout the week this weekend, what I have done, though, is um, I've spent the last couple of nights essentially subjecting my girlfriend, Georgia, to Play Dead's Limbo and Inside. Uh-huh, Both yes. games I, I very much enjoy. And I hadn't been through Limbo since its release in 2010. But I'm pleased to announce for anyone that has not played it in that time, it's still very, very good. Yeah. And, and we finished it kind of in, in one three or four hour sitting. And I think it's still just as punchy as it was like at the start of that kind of modern indie boom on the 360. Like I played most of it as an observer. She was kind of controlling it and playing through the puzzles. And apart from maybe the last like 20 minutes, I helped out with some of the timing challenges at the end. But I, I think it's really remarkable as well that it's actually a very accessible game, providing you have some basic gaming language. So as long as you understand the idea that you're trying not to get killed, you jump over things and you walk left to right, it, it makes sense. And she's currently about a third of the way through inside this morning. Wonderful. And, and that in particular has been really nice to revisit as a spectator. So I can actually just 
watch and not feel the same sort of sense of dread you do when you play it yourself. <laughs> it's been really nice as well to sort of play it in quick succession after Limbo because obviously I played Inside last year, so nine years on after I beat Limbo. And, and to give it kind of proper context and connection to their previous work has been really nice because they're a developer that I think has essentially gone like two for two for me, both outstanding games, both games that I think rejuvenated and then innovated on like that cinematic platform genre that started with things like Prince of Persia. And, and they're just really stunning games that I, I really implore anyone to, to pick up and play. And like you mentioned with Bastion last week, Jonathan, they're, they're available on pretty much everything. Like Limbo, you can play on PC, last-gen consoles, current-gen, mobile. Inside is slightly newer, but it's still available on PC, current-gen, mobile platforms. So anyone that hasn't played them, I, I really do implore that you go and give it a go. They're, they're fantastic. I've got it on the PS4, Minty. And now that we're going to start streaming some live content... Mm. We should have you over and uh, we should uh, play through it. Yeah, do it. Ooh. Do it. Yeah. It's great. What have you been playing, Minty? Oh, I've been playing Tales of Vesperia still. <sighs> it's so big. It's so long. <laughs> I'm at a bit of a roadblock. I'm nearly at the end of the second act, so I'm hoping to have it finished by Friday when that sweet ACNH action comes my way. Yes, mm. yes, yes. <laughs> I, I'm similarly trying to get through The Witcher 3 before Friday. I did manage to finish Outer Wilds. Oh, don't don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it, but I have got some things to say. Okay. The end of the game. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been great to actually have a couple of days just to kind of dwell on it as, an, as a whole experience and sort of put together my thoughts ahead of talking about it right now. I mean, so the game is essentially about satiating curiosity and the game is entirely propelled on your desire to find out just a little bit more. If that curiosity isn't there, then the game doesn't doesn't work. And I think I, I touched on this the, the other week that it was a curiosity that ticked away in the back of my mind when I wasn't playing the game as much as when I was. Mm. And that kept me coming back for another loop and another loop and another loop. And with a game that is tackling as like enormous themes as this game is, with like quantum mechanics and and everything, it really needed to be smart in how it delivered on that curiosity, so you didn't feel shortchanged at the end of the game. And I can honestly say that I was left breathless and humbled by the ending. It was absolutely perfect and such a fitting denouement for just an incredible adventure. The other thing that I really loved about the game is how it makes you feel about space. Space? <laughs> space. Love space. Because of how incredible the art design is and how amazing the lighting design is in the game, when you're travelling around space, it is frequently breathtakingly beautiful. Even just sat, not moving, in orbit, and just watching as the solar system operates is honestly worth the price of the game in itself. And each planet breaks so many rules of game design as well i was watching a bit of a uh, behind the scenes documentary about the game and they were talking about how well the way you do nice lighting is by lighting static objects but everything in this game is moving constantly and like the way you're supposed to do level design is on a grid and this was all being done on spheres mm. and how each planet worked in a totally different way to another and, and so it really is a stunning thing to behold as you, you travel about this system and and just little things about the game design as well like the way it, it subtly guides you to certain places with little visual clues 
and how some like music will start fading up when you're in a significant place so it sort of makes you want to stay there a little longer and investigate like you were saying the other week chris about firewatch yeah uh, it, it's a game that lets you feel lost but in yeah. a way that's actually keeping you on the end of a rope but without feeling like you are <laughs> if that makes any sense yeah yeah but the flip side of this beauty is that it also makes space feel incredibly dangerous and I think this is something that you've been experiencing, Chris. Yeah, uh, yeah for spa- sure. <laughs> space is not something that you can just set your location, press engage, and then explore the next planet. Like Outer Wilds makes the space between worlds as much of an environment to navigate and challenge you as the planets themselves. Like When you start to get a sense of just how fast these planets are moving in orbit and how isolated and vulnerable you are in your little tin can spaceship... And even like when you're not in your spaceship, when you're on a planet, just like a small misstep could send you like hurtling off into space, uh, into like the orbit of something else, or see you dragged into a black hole. And that adds a whole other level of tension and danger and vulnerability to your adventure. And the brilliant thing is that, coupled with your insatiable need to explore, <laughs> is then a really thrilling combination. Yeah. Like, I've got to go back one more time, but... I- it's so dangerous it was just a wonderful wonderful experience and it's one that i do hope that you persist with chris but also if you if you if you find that it is too frustrating then maybe you can watch me play through it one time <laughs> <laughs> i think what's happened for me is like when um do you when no man's sky came out oh yeah i don't know if you played it at launch but it basically didn't have much of a game to it. it. It would make the planets and you'd fly between them and everything felt very big and vast and it, it did space very well and it didn't have a game to back it up really. Yeah. And, and Outer Wilds is obviously much smaller in scope, but it's looking at some similar themes in terms of the idea of like exploration and moving around a vast universe essentially. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it almost spoiled me a little bit because the thing that No Man's Sky did well is traversal always felt quite easy. And, and like you say, it's like you hop in a spaceship and you fly off and then you're somewhere else. And, and that's really simple. And I know that feeling wouldn't work with, as you say, to, to create that sort of tension and danger in your environment like Outer Worlds does. But I think it's been hard to get over that thought because I've played other games, like I said, like No Man's Sky, where it is quite straightforward to move between places. And at the moment, I, I haven't kind of got that little nugget at the end that makes me want to keep going back to somewhere that will make me push through and, and get better at that sort of traversal. Yeah. So I haven't given up. Like, it's a game, honestly, I, I keep picking up every few days, so I'm, I'm still persisting. But I've, I have found it challenging, and I, I hope I, I get through that at some point to actually experience all the good stuff that you've just mentioned. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, shall we move on to the rankings? Yes, yeah. please. Yes, please. Starting this week, we have Minty. Can you please tell us what your 46th favourite video game of all time is, please? Yes. So I'm not laying down a challenge to my future self with this entry, but I was having a look over my top 10 games in my list, and I realised that I am 100% confident that I could accurately and comprehensively detail the story and plot of each one. (laughs) And after writing that sentence that I just said, I looked over the rest of my list, and for every applicable game, like ones that actually have a plot, I could tell you what each one was about, quite confidently, starting next week. I don't think I could tell you anything meaningful about what I did in this game, but I'm going to give it a try. <laughs> so you start off hanging around with a group of people who are basically Extinction Rebellion, but instead of not buying plastic bags, 
or trying to convince you that not only is a scourer made from a coconut shell a good thing to own and use, <laughs> but also paying eight ninety five from the local zero waste store for the privilege is completely acceptable and doesn't denigrate being environmentally conscious to a self defeating, economically restrictive white middle class hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Or pitching a tent village in the middle of a main road, disrupting public transport and making people take longer car journeys to avoid your smelly encampment to get to work, or maybe even drive someone to a fucking hospital in an ambulance. <laughs> you jump in with both feet and blow up a power plant in an act of casual domestic terrorism. <laughs> also, you used to be in the army. Your boss was really strong and cool, but the evil company that I think ran the army and also the power plant that you blew up didn't tell him that he was cloned from an alien and he goes crazy. He burns down the town that he found this choice nugget from his past in. And I think that gives the player character PTSD because he thinks he was his boss's best friend instead of just like Stormtrooper 984 or whatever and basically lied to you through a series of unreliable flashbacks. And then you make a friend who wants to find out more about her family, I think. But once she gets back to her ancestral home, the player character's boss turns up and kills her. Little side note, that cutscene uh, made my friend cry when he first played this game. And then I think your boss tries to destroy the world by summoning a massive meteor. And the Earth responds by releasing enormous monsters that it created to protect it from dangers. Yeah. It's all a bit hazy, but you end up killing your former boss by unlocking the power of a trinket owned by your dead friend. There's also loads of side quests, cutscenes, the classic JRPG staple of a city that's entirely a casino. Uh-huh. And an entire catalogue of spin-off sequels, movies, re-releases, and as of very recently, a remake. It's Final Fantasy VII. Ah, oh, fantastic. I, I would not have known what you were talking about if I hadn't have played the demo for Final <laughs> Fantasy VII Remake just yesterday. Is it good, ah. the demo? I mean, it's, yeah. It's... Shiny. It looks amazing. Yeah. It's very shiny. It feels weird because I know that... Because it's implemented real-time combat rather than turn-based stuff. Oh. Yeah. It's not jarring, but it's just a bit... I don't know. It's because I know that's not what, obviously, the original was. It was just a classic turn-based thing so it does feel like it's very reminiscent of xenoblade chronicles or even actually mm. astral chain that i've played recently yeah i mean it's, it's a nice little whistle wetter um but <laughs> I, I said to minty yesterday i said oh when you come around tomorrow i'll show you the demo for final fantasy 7 remake hmm. uh, so this is ridiculous that this is your game this week yes i did have a little smile to myself <laughs> as you said that what was the first final fantasy you played minty i think it was the game boy advance remake of one and two Okay, because ah. for our generation, a lot of people started with seven. Yeah, mm. and I didn't know if that was the same for you that maybe you played on the PlayStation and then branched out into the other ones you've enjoyed or or what. But that's not the case. So much like Ocarina of Time was a 3D game on a more powerful console that followed a phenomenal 2D game, Final Fantasy VII follows. Wait for it, Chrono Trigger. <laughs> uh, and I guess Final Fantasy VI, both games that were really <laughs> at the peak of expansive, story-driven 2D. JRPGs. Final Fantasy VI was especially was a lot better than VII in terms of the story it told. Uh, science and magic collide in a world under the relentless yoke of imperial oppression and your party is the ragtag group that liberates the people and so on and so forth and all the rest of it. Final Fantasy VII, for better or worse, takes that premise and 
stuffs it fuller than a panic buyer's boot. <laughs> Adding some shit about capitalism and drawing it out to near epic proportions. It just keeps building and building and building. And as you're playing it, you're thinking, oh, wow, this is cool. I've toppled the corporation. Oh, amazing. We've made it to the, the, the hidden city of the ancients. Cool. Now, 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 now our party has a goth in it. It's, it's a sensational experience, but goodness me, there's so much to take in. And sadly, most of it leaked out as I made room in my dusty old brain for dog breeds and the Maillard reaction. We've been at this for over a year now, and I think it's safe to say that we've all got our character traits down. <laughs> Chris approaches each game with a profound level of emotional, historical, and technical detail. Jonathan weaves vivid tales of the man he was as he played each game and delves into the artistry of each title. And then with me, it's a coin toss as to whether or not I've completed it. <laughs> <laughs> I not only beat this game, I beat it 100%. Oh, oh I played it until it started crying. <laughs> I beat all the super bosses. <laughs> I got all the summons. I got all the ultimate weapons, all the optional characters, and did all the side quests. I hoovered it up. My favourite part of the game is the materia mechanic. So you, you, you equip your weapons and your armour with these little rocks, and they give you powers, they let you learn spells, they give you abilities, all sorts of that good shit. The more you fought with the weapon they were slotted into, the better the materia came, and the stronger you got. And you would get like better bonuses, your spells would do more damage, you would learn spells without having to have them in your weapon, so you could put the next one in and so on and so forth. It was just a really satisfying just loading everybody up and grinding out spell and summon masteries, uh, using the morph ability that one materia gives you to turn enemies into stat boosting items to get everybody to max strength. Oh boy, it's just a complex and satisfying game that seemed to go on forever, unrelenting in its pacing until it was left a smoking wreckage under Cloud Strife's massive, stupid-looking sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a stupid sword. Mm. It was actually one of my biggest concerns about the Final Fantasy VII remake. I was like, it's going to look really realistic, it's going to look great, but if it looks so realistic and he's holding a sword that size, it's going to look like a knob. <laughs> because the only way he could wield something like that is if it was made of, like, titanium and balsa. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we have Chris's game. Hello. Can you please tell us about your 46th favourite video game, please, Chris? I can. There's a lot of things I miss about being a kid. Like, especially thinking now, like, I, I miss having, like, a total lack of responsibility. Uh, I miss having, uh, like, experience with crushing disappointment that comes with growing up and being an adult. And, and I miss as well the belief that people in positions of power, A, have any idea what they're doing, and B, have the best interests of uh, individuals in their countries at heart. Oh dear. Which, uh, you know, oh no. <laughs> easy come, easy go. But in terms of, in terms of video games, though, I, I miss games seemingly, like, appearing out of nowhere because of the lack of the internet. And, and I miss being young enough to not be part of like hype cycles because aside from like the odd magazine I might pick up when I was really small you didn't have like a constant drip feed of information about anything games just seemed to appear and and I miss kind of having the imagination as well to to take someone's description of a game that they might tell you about at school and then being able to conjure up just the most insane outcome in your head like far beyond what would be reasonable given the technology of the time and I remember going back like in the playground when I was aged maybe 10. So this was at primary school. I had two friends who were brothers called Lewis and Elliot. And they came back in the Monday and told me about a game they'd rented over the weekend called Parodius. 
And I didn't know at the time that the name was a portmanteau of parody and Konami's Gradius series, presumably because I didn't know what portmanteau meant. I didn't know what parody meant, and I certainly certainly didn't know what Gradius meant. <laughs> but instead, I, I listened to their descriptions of the game as they told me that you could pick like different characters like bunny girls that shot carrots, stick men that rode on paper airplanes, little pigs with angel wings. There were loads of penguins, all this weird stuff. And at the time, I just thought, this is a game that 10-year-old Chris needs to play. <laughs> like, I, I wanted to know what this was. Now, now, for any younger listeners, like in the 90s and like I said, without the internet, obtaining a specific game, especially those that were outside of kind of like the big mainstream titles, relied on a mixture of just blind faith and potluck. So if a game didn't appear in the charts of Woolworths, RIP, yeah. or on the shelves of Dixon's, RIP, <laughs> uh, you, you'd have to then rely on basically just stumbling upon it in a second. Electronics Boutique. Mm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> or Toys R Us. Our price. <laughs> oh. But I mean, I, I was lucky enough back then that I lived quite close to a shop whose name I don't really remember, but it sold a lot of video games and collectibles, like secondhand stuff. And crucially for me, they, they had this weird system where they would price secondhand titles by the year of release rather than how desirable they were. So older games were always cheaper, newer games were always more expensive. So you could pick up some titles from a couple of years old and, and get a great deal. And for the few years it was there, I bought loads of Mega Drive stuff when I still had my Mega Drive. I bought loads of Sega Saturn games when that was the console I was playing, up until the business essentially folded eventually. And I remember like six months after I had that conversation with Lewis and Elliot at school, I found a copy of Parodius on the Sega Saturn at a decent price, because at that point it was two or three years old. So I was like, whoa, fantastic. I get to find out what this game actually is now. Looking at the box, like it's got a, a really colourful front. It, the screenshots on the back that are kind of quite unreadable to someone, even at the time, that I was quite game obsessed, but I was still inexperienced with lots of genres and lots of titles. But on the cover, I could see that there was a bunny girl. I could see there was a paper aeroplane rider. I could see there was a winged pig. Yeah. And I probably gave over, you know, however many pounds of pocket money the game cost. Ran home, shoved the disc in the satin, entered the date and time. Call back to the last episode for any super fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then when it booted up, I just thought, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, what is this? And obviously, like I said, you don't know what these games are when you're young. You don't have the kind of wider context to know what these things are. And Parodius is essentially, it's a compilation pack of two 2D horizontal scrolling shoot-em-ups that both have really bright presentation, both have weird cutesy graphics, and both have a power-up system that I could not fathom at all, and also really extremely high difficulty. And on this disc, it collects together the titular Parodius, like I mentioned, and the sequel, which is my actual game of, uh -huh. of this week, called Fantastic Journey. Uh. And Fantastic Journey was like essentially an improved version. It was just like essentially like Parodius 2 sort of thing. Both were originally arcade games. Both had not really seen much localization outside of Japan, except for, I think on the SNES, they, they did have ports, but maybe only Japan. But Fantastic Journey is, is a game that I really, really like. And despite the fact it took me a few years to kind of make sense of it, it has, over the years, become, like I mentioned, my 46th favourite video game of all time. Now, prior to playing this kind of double pack, the Proteus double pack, I think I'd probably played two shoot-em-ups in my whole life, both on the Master System. So we had number 100 on my list, Bomber Raid, and we had Sagaya, which is like a downscaled port of, of Darius. Again, I hadn't played that at the time, but that, that's what it is. You didn't play Transbot. I, I never did, I don't think. Transbot was, uh, was yeah, it's dreadful. <laughs> I think a lot of them were at that time. <laughs> yeah. It's really bad. But because of that, because I was limited in how much I knew about the shoot 'em up genre, I just didn't have the vocabulary to enjoy Parodius or Fantastic Journey. So instead, it, it was one of those discs that I just got stuck on the play pile, and then I'd just play for 10 minutes here and there over the next few years. But what I did find is every time I did play, I'd get a little bit further, 
And eventually I found that I stopped playing Parodius completely and just focused all my efforts on Fantastic Journey because it included more characters, had more stages, more power-ups, more enemies, more polish overall, really. So in concept, it's like I say, it's a shoot-em-up. It's really simple. You fly left to right, you shoot enemies, they release power-ups, you boost up your arsenal, you take down big bosses. It's just a really kind of standard shoot-em-up, essentially. But what makes this a game I still like to play today is that it was a conscious move away from the quite dry like space or sci-fi presentation of most other shoot-em-ups like Gradius like I mentioned or, or anything else and instead it dresses itself up in real sort of candy colours it's got a visual style that transcends even the most over-the-top anime of the time and it's it's just something like I mentioned before it's wholly video gamey it's the type of thing that, that screams out that this is something that is on screen there's flashing lights there's big explosions it's just something silly and fun and, and video gamey Fantastic Journey is set across stages where you'll take down flying boats manned by cat pirates there are ballerina penguins there are 50 foot tall chorus line dancers that you need to fly underneath their feet there's a level that has you literally carving a path through walls of cake to confront a boss that is a pair of disembodied lips and hands firing icing at you from piping bags there's a level set to the william tell overture that has you kind of navigating through tight corridors at changing speeds as little chickens bounce around alongside you it's just it's a game that really rewarded my continued play with art design beyond the realm of what I could have imagined when I was 10 and unbelievably it's a game that it delivered on and then built upon the pictures I saw in my mind when it was described to me in the playground it was more fantastical than I think I could give it credit for at that age it is a game that takes time and a certain level of skill to enjoy like I said it's quite a hard shoot em up but it is a game that kind of rewards you not only with that kind of madcap presentation but also that there's real depth to its systems like more than a lot of shoot em ups of the era as well so all the characters you can choose are unique, like the ones I've kind of mentioned, as well as a, a whole bunch of others. So not necessarily unique in their movement, but unique that they all have their own kind of offensive and defensive capabilities and stats. Some are all about kind of like pumping out loads and loads of bullets that overwhelm the enemies. Some are about using little like satellite option ships around your main kind of craft to build a variety in your kind of uh, weapon loadout. And what's really nice as well, the thing I've always kind of enjoyed about this series is the power-ups themselves can be manually assigned. So there's kind of like a risk-reward strategy that you can choose whether or not you want to save up your power-ups to use just big weapons or put them all into efforts to building up your speed and defense and shields and things like that. And it's a game that I think is much more layered and, and much deeper than the sort of peaches and cream presentation giveaway. It is a game that I've played hundreds of times now and I've never really tired of. It's one that I now always play when I go to the arcade club because they do have a, a, a cabinet up there in Berry. It's one that I've played on the handheld, on the Vita, quite often via its PSP port that collected all the Parodius games into one package. And it's a game that just, like I say, it rewards repeat play, but similar to how we now have modern narrative action games that have big set pieces like Uncharted or, or Call of Duty, here instead of like a, a helicopter crashing and a nuke going off, it was screen-filling mermaids and Easter Island heads bobbing up and down and mm. just really, really silly fun. I'm sure you haven't played it, but it's really, really great. And, and I'd love people to at least watch a little bit of footage so you can kind of see what I'm trying to describe. It's a, it's a re really good fun. I certainly remember Parodius on the Saturn. I, I never had it, but I remember seeing the, I remember the title and I remember mm. seeing the box art. From looking at some screenshots now, it does look absolutely, just absolutely mad. Absolutely mad. Yeah. And it also shares the name with my personal favourite Where's Wally book. So oh, It is good. It's a good one, mm. isn't it? I mean, I think the later Parodius games as well, I haven't really played much of the ones after Fantastic Journey. I think there were two more after that. And, and one from memory, 
I think has like similar to you know like you said Bastion has essentially someone describing your journey over the top of you yeah I think it's got like a weird commentary system where it explains what is going on but obviously in Japanese so I've got no idea what they're saying but I'm pretty confident one of them has has a strange like audio layer over the top of a guy narrating your actions wow well yeah I mean we'll we'll, yeah there it is lastly but not leastly we have me so my game this week is a handheld survival horror game. Oh, okay. Mm. Is it Alone in the Dark on the Game Boy Color? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was pipped to my list by Jurassic Park on the Game Boy. <laughs> Rightly so. And Sonic 3D. So in this game, you play as an explorer who is plagued with an anxiety disorder, and he's trying to exercise demons that are haunting a series of buildings. absolutely drenched in terror from head to toe and featuring an overabundance of Hoover interactable soft (laughs) furnishings it's Luigi's Mansion 2 you bastard (laughs) (laughs) so before I start I think a a lot of the things I loved about Luigi's Mansion 2 were improved upon in Luigi's Mansion 3 partly because the fact that the technology was a lot more sophisticated but the fact that I'd seen them before meant that I was significantly less impressed with number three as I was with number two. Mm. So I'm going to start first and foremost with the reason why this game is so great. And that is the animation. Yeah. This is something specifically that Nintendo based a lot of the charm of Luigi's Mansion 3 around. But it's easy to forget how much of an achievement it was on such a small handheld. I mean, it really was like Pixar level animation quality. Luigi himself had so much personality, his quivering little legs and the shaking of his torch as he entered a new room whilst he nervously hummed the theme tune was endlessly adorable. And the way he interacted with like so many little elements in the game were just constantly brilliant, charming and hilarious. One of the things that stood out to me was the fact that there was so little reused animation that it made it really feel like you were on a journey that was evolving and it feels like it's like a bit of a weird thing to say but like even when you play a game like say the witcher that i'm playing at the moment Geralt has the same fighting animations the same sort of running animations horse riding animations and after a while you start to lose the sense that you're controlling a person rather than executing a series of commands through an avatar but with Luigi, it, it felt like he was being animated live at your beck and call, depending on what he was doing. And, and because there was so much variety in the animation and there was constantly new ways of interacting with things and new animations to go with that. And it was it was just brilliant. And it was like this in the design of the rest of the game as well. Like with, uh, with the puzzles, there was nothing reused or reskinned. And there were so many individual ghosts to hunt. And so much variety of gameplay presented, especially when you consider that you only actually have a torch and a hoover. I mean, it's a very, very, very simple setup. But it's probably in that simplicity that it allows Nintendo to be more creative with the design of everything around it. Like I said with Super Mario 3D Land, Nintendo really knew what they were doing with the use of 3D in this game. And actually they used a similar presentation in a way to, to that game as well. So rather than having one big mansion to explore, there's actually a little series of smaller mansions, which are almost like dioramas. Uh, They have a very specific theme and are a bit more contained than having one overarching building like in the first game. And because of this, being able to play the game in stereoscopic 3D 
made these smaller places feel a lot well, deeper and a lot more involving and claustrophobic as well. I know, Minty, that you preferred the first game partly because of the fact that it didn't have these like smaller levels to explore. That's true, yes. And I can understand that. And I was actually a bit disappointed with Luigi's Mansion 3 because it presented it like it was this one huge hotel to explore. But in reality, it wasn't. Mm. It was just the hotel was a way of presenting 15 individual levels or floors. And after a while, they resorted to the same sort of themed diorama approach of Luigi's Mansion 2 anyway, which sort of totally removed their sense of place in a in a wider building context it was quite separated out are you happy with that chris a year and a half in and i finally started talking about games having a sense of place (laughs) oh it rubs off immensely doesn't it if i say it enough it It rubs off (laughs) (laughs) it's true well i do mean it I, i do mean it i mean there really is i mean there's so much to enjoy in this game you are rewarded so much for exploring every nook and cranny of the mansions trying to hoover up every curl of carpet or flap of wallpaper, every scuttling rat or spider. It almost resembles like a classic point-and-click adventure at times mm. with like the amount you try and interact with. And, I mean, you really do need to in, in order to hunt down like all of the secret collectibles, like some of the gems that you have to find. It, I mean, they are... It, I mean, they're really hidden. They're really hidden. And uh, it's it's constantly surprising how many different things you can interact with. I mean, the fact that it is like everything. You think, oh, what if happens if I hoover the fridge? I'm sure nothing will happen. Oh, no, open the fridge, ghost comes out, little rat scuttles off of some cheese that's got like a key in it or something. And it's just like endlessly inventive. Just mm-hmm. keeps it up. Yeah, it's brilliant. And to be honest, at its heart, I, I, I think the mechanic of sucking a ghost up into a vacuum cleaner never get old <laughs> it's so fun it's so fun it's and it's it's such a good game i mean it, it's it's so enjoyable and for me it was a real standout on 3ds i'd say top five 3ds games certainly oh yeah yeah i don't think probably enough enough people played it but there we go did you play it chris yeah, i did I, I didn't finish it but uh, we mentioned when we talked about was it Luigi's Mansion that Minty talked about, or was that your your list as well? First one was on Minty's list, not on my list. Yeah, the second one is on your list, not on my list. Luigi's Mansion two, like you say, the animation is is stellar, like just top top work, unbelievable. I, I, I can't fathom how it fits into a three DS cartridge. Yeah. On on a resolution, you know, with a screen with that lower resolution, and you know, when we were talking about Ocarina of Time a while back, and all these other games we've mentioned on the three DS. When it was done properly, the, the stereoscopic 3D was like transformational. Yeah. And, and I think that was one of those games that it didn't necessarily need the depth in terms of like puzzle solving or, or the worlds like Mario 3D lands, but it added so much to just the feel of the of the space around you yeah. that it felt like a, a living, breathing thing because that everything could be interacted with. Mm. And, and having just that little bit of 3D, so it's, it's playing with that kind of sense of dimension worked brilliantly. It's, it's a lovely game. So there we have it, another three games from us. First of all, we had... Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> and then we had... Herodias, Fantastic Journey. And finally, Luigi's Mansion 2. Ooh, that is an eclectic mix of games, isn't it? It yeah. is, yeah. Ooh. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do subscribe, like it, share it on social media, leave us reviews. You can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Our Three Cents. 
You can find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Jonathan Dunn. I'm at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. Please do interact with us. Tell us what you think about these games. Tell us what you think about your games. You can ask us questions that you might like us to answer on future episodes of the podcast. And if you're a fan of what we're doing, do please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash our three cents. Huge thanks to our current 16 and 32-bit Patreon backers, Gene Limbrick, Andy Smith and CJ Anderson. And please do join us next week for our 45s. Miniboss level. Good night.